0: The fate of World Revolution is being decided in the West. The way leads over the corpse of Poland to a universal conflagration on to Vilno, Minsk, and Warsaw. Forward. Soviet General Mikhail Turkachewski nineteen twenty. Welcome to the Revisionist History Podcast, where we set the historical record straight no matter who it might offend. I'm Paul, and today we're not looking at historical revisionism as much as we're looking at someone who failed to learn from history, which in a lot of ways is just as bad. Russian President Vladimir Putin believed his army would take Kiev in two days. To say that Putin underestimated the resolve and abilities of the Ukrainian people is as blindingly obvious as the fact that water is wet. For someone who claims to be a student of history, Putin really should have seen this coming. With the exception of World War II, in which they had the Americans and British as allies, Russia's military track record over the past 100 years or so has been spotty to say the least. They did put down popular uprisings in Budapest in 1956 and Prague in 1968, using tanks against lightly armed citizens and subdued Chechnya in 2000 by basically leveling the entire country. But their success against other supposedly weaker foes has been virtually non-existent. Today, I wanna look at five times that Russia brazenly went to war against a much smaller nation with the expectation of a quick victory, only to face a far different outcome than they could have ever imagined. Japan. 1904 to 1905. Now it's generally agreed that Tsar Nicholas II was not only Russia's last Tsar, but also its most incompetent. Ten years before he led the country into the catastrophe that was World War I, Nicholas decided to flex Russia's muscles by beating up on their smaller neighbor on the Pacific coast, Japan, with the official reason being a dispute over who would control Manchuria and Korea. Not waiting for the Russians to act after diplomatic negotiations failed, Japan launched a devastating surprise attack on the Russian Eastern Fleet at Port Arthur, China, on 9th February, 1904. Nicholas then sent the Russian Baltic Fleet halfway around the world to fight the Japanese. The Russian fleet was almost completely destroyed by the combined Japanese fleet at the Battle of Tsushima in May of 1905. In addition to the crushing naval defeats, Russia also lost every land battle they fought against the Japanese, forcing Nicholas to sue for peace. The war ended with the signing of the Treaty of Portsmouth on September 5, 1905. The treaty was mediated by US President Theodore Roosevelt, for which the pugnacious hero of the Battle of San Juan Hill won the 1906 Nobel Peace Prize. Next up, we have Poland from 1919 to 1921. Following the Russian Revolution of 1917 and the end of World War I, Soviet leader Vladimir Lenin thought invading Poland was a great idea. He hoped that expanding the Soviet Union to the border of Germany would enable him to better coordinate with the socialist movement in Germany and ultimately spread the communist revolution across Western Europe. Leon Trotsky, who was in charge of the Red Army, wasn't so sure it was a great idea. In the end, Trotsky was right. When the war began, the two nations were fairly evenly matched, with roughly 50,000 Polish and around 80,000 Soviet troops involved. By 1920, Polish troop strength stood at around 800,000, with the Soviets at 1 million. Throughout 1919, most battles ended either in stalemates or Polish victories. The tide turned in the Russians' favor by the mid, by mid-1920, and Poland was on the verge of defeat before they miraculously and decisively defeated the Russians at the Battle of Warsaw in August of 1920. The defeat and subsequent Polish advance forced Lenin to sue for peace. 20 years later, between 1939 and 1940, we have Finland. On November 30th, 1939, between 450,000 and 700,000, depending on the source, Soviet soldiers with 6,000 tanks and supported by 3,000 planes poured across the Finnish border. They were met by 300,000 Finnish troops with 30 tanks and around 100 aircraft. The Finns withstood the Soviet numerical superiority in the first months of the war by using highly mobile ski troops wearing winter camouflage against Soviet troops dressed in dark uniforms that stood out in the snow. Now on the surface, the result of what was called the Winter War looks like a victory for the Soviet Union. The Moscow peace treaty signed in 1940 saw Finland surrender the Gulf of Finland Islands, the Karelian Isthmus, and several other areas to the Soviets. However, as the Soviet goal was the complete conquest of Finland and the establishment of a communist puppet regime there, it was in fact a huge Soviet failure. They were expelled from the League of Nations for their illegal invasion and soundly defeated in the first months of the conflict by a much smaller Finnish force. The Finns suffered nearly 26,000 soldiers killed, while the Soviets lost just under 127,000, or nearly five times as many. Soviet leader Nikita Khrushchev later said, in our war against the Finns, we had an opportunity to choose the time and the place. We outnumbered our enemy, and we had all the time in the world to prepare for our operation. Yet, even in these most favorable conditions, it was only after great difficulty and enormous losses that we were finally able to win. All of us, and Stalin first and foremost, sensed in our victory a defeat by the Finns. Next up we have Afghanistan, 1979 to 1989. Alexander the Great conquered Afghanistan in 330 BC. Mahmud of Ghazni did it in the 11th century and Genghis Khan in the 13th century but since then foreign powers have found it a fool's errand trying to hold on to the country. The most recent example is the two-decade American involvement and the British learned their lesson the hard way in the 19th century. In between it was the Soviets who met a long brutal defeat at the hands of the Afghans. When the Soviet Union invaded Afghanistan in 1979 To prop up the communist government there, they surely expected quick victory against the anti-communist Muslim insurgency. 10 years later, after 15,000 Soviet soldiers had been killed and another 35,000 wounded, they admitted defeat and withdrew from the country. Finally, we have Ukraine. I don't have to say much about this conflict as it continues to play out on our television screens every day. In the first days of the war, it seemed likely that Putin would achieve his goal of conquering the country and toppling the Zelensky government. Yet the Ukrainians held firm in the face of impossible odds, helped tremendously by Western military and other aid. They've continued to hold firm, despite continual Russian attacks on civilian targets, and have pushed the Russians back in several occupied areas of the country. Only time will tell if Ukraine will triumph over the Russian invaders. What is certain is that, as in the four other cases I've mentioned, Russia is paying a price for once again underestimating what they wrongly saw as an inferior opponent. Putin's learned nothing from Russian history, and countless people are suffering as a result. We can only hope it ends soon. That's our episode for today. We'll see you next time.